You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We are the show where we try to take your challenges as a business owner or a business leader and break them down into bite-sized chunks that uh, might be solved with some good old-fashioned common sense thinking. Today, my my guest is um, is an exciting one for me for several reasons. Her name is uh, Gail Doby, and she is coming to us from where, Gail? Where are you located? Denver, Colorado. Denver. Oh, yeah. I was just there. I wish I had <laughs> reviewed my notes. I would have reached out to you. Oh, that would have been nice. Um, but uh, welcome to the show, Gail. Thanks for coming in. Well, I'm always pleased to chat with you. We always have interesting conversations, so I can't wait to see where this this one goes. Right. Well, so I sort of teased the idea. I said this was special to me for several reasons. Gail, in an early life, uh, did a lot in the interior design world, and that, as many of you have heard me speak of before on this show, is near and dear to my heart because I grew up. Uh, my hardworking single mom was an interior designer. So as a young lad for my summer jobs, I uh, I did painting. I was hanging pictures, hanging drapes, uh, installing floors and all kinds of things that uh, she needed done in her business. And so that is something that's kind of in my DNA. So it's exciting to um, to get into it. But Gail and I have kind of prepped for, I think, two interesting thoughts, and we'll try to pack both of them in here as we go. But I, I want to start with the idea of, for those of you that are in a space and you yourself are in the more creative realm like interior design would be, there's a conundrum in in trying to figure out how to run a successful business, and that is you need some systems, you need some processes, and you need some rigor to allow your business to become scalable and repeatable. And being maybe a natural-born creative, that's a right-brain strength, and the process and system is a left-brain thinking, and so there's a natural conundrum there. So, Gail, just talk to us a little bit about maybe your own journey and how you overcame that to realize that that's what you were going to have to figure out to be able to scale and grow your business. Well, it's interesting, and you probably don't know this about me, but I have a finance and banking degree. (laughs) (laughs) So we have another commonality there, but I have been in the business of interior design or in the home furnishings industry my whole career and in one form or another. And actually I have, I am fortunate. I have both sides of the brain. They're pretty equal. In fact, I'd probably say the left dominates a little bit more. And so for me, this is a natural and I'm very much a strategic thinker. So for me, it's really easy to make the transition between left and right brain And I realized that very early in my interior design business, how process-oriented we had to be. So for me, it was more like I was just using all of my brain to be able to run the business. And um, actually, 
probably where I failed the most was more on the right brain side <laughs> and some of the soft skills with leadership that I developed later in life. And um, it's very interesting. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit about growing as a leader, but as you grow and as you're learning to run a business, very few of us start with any sort of training for running a business. And running a business is entirely different than being a creative. So when, and since your mom was an interior designer, it sounds like she had both sides of her brain working. And uh, I think one of the things that's really important for anybody that's running a business is you need both sides. You need to have a little bit of both to be successful. And if you can employ some of those skills that involve that left brain side, that's great. And then applying the soft skills of empathy and leadership and um, organization and some of those things can help to run an effective business, but you need both. You've got to have both to run a, a good business. Yeah. And, and, and really to round out that challenge is that for those that are maybe incredibly stuck on the creative side, you just have to have the willingness and awareness to open up and, and find somebody else that you can join your team and maybe fulfill that gap that might be from the left side of the brain and, and figure out a way to harmonize. And as uh, one of my guests said not long ago, you know, determine your own zone of genius and and really thrive there, but be willing to open up for the uh, filling of gaps that might otherwise exist for the good of the business. Wow. And so if you need a process and systems person and that's not your thing because you're so focused on the creative side, well, go find a, an associate or a partner that you can bring in to do that system and process work <clears throat> and align those things and then draw some ring fences around the, the disciplines of who's going to do what and and set up your rules of engagement and, you know, go forth and conquer. Right. And I agree with you because we don't have to be good at everything. We just have to know what we're great at and do that. And um, sometimes we have to do the other part for a while just because we can't afford to hire those people early on. But the sooner you hire those people, the faster you get into what you're really good at. And I wanted to bring up a point that I think is fascinating to me because I've worked with hundreds of different companies across the U.S., and Canada. And really what I find to be interesting is a lot of people will come to me, especially in the early days of coaching, and they'll say, I want to, I, I love design. I am just passionate about design and I really don't like running a business. But here's what's interesting. After we train them and about three years in, they start shifting and they almost enjoy running the business more than they enjoy the design. So we see this shift happening and all of a sudden, at some point, they realize that they are running a business that happens to do interior design. And that shift is, I think, key to them being successful as a business leader. And I, I love seeing it happen because I can almost guarantee that most people will end up there. And yeah. so they may enjoy doing the design part but they will find that they don't have to do as much of it as they thought they needed to in order for them to get fulfilled by that. 
I, I'm involved with a group now that is helping accelerate the um, buying and selling of businesses, predominantly in the home services space. And there are a couple of situations going on right now that are deals in flight, and one in particular that I'm thinking of, and I won't name names, but um, the uh, the company does cabinet building, custom cabinets for high-end homes, and the owner is a design guy. He He loves tinkering with floor plans and blueprints and figuring out optimizing function and feature within a space, whether it's a kitchen or a bedroom or a pantry. And and he loves sitting at his CAD machine and, and doing these things. And as we were exploring the business, and it's a successful business, by the way, but it's it's capped because of his own abilities and, and limits that he's either consciously or subconsciously set. And um, as the uh, uh, acquiring buyer is is looking at it, he has none of that. I mean, he he has no idea how to run a CAD drawing software. He he is interested in the business, and so there's going to be a need to to really find a design person. But um, in the discussions leading up to this, it is interesting that the owner knows. He's identified what he's got to do to keep the business moving forward, but he's not really focused on scaling it because for him, there's so much of a tug to be able to be the guy at the pen and, and drawing these things and developing these things. And it's an interesting transition that's getting ready to happen with, uh, with that business. And the reality is there there's no denying there's something to really unique custom design but at the end of the day you know there's only so much uh, capacity in a cabinet you can put in a given space and you yes there's a degree of optimizing that and then it comes down really to the craftsmanship in the in the units themselves and that's what everybody else in the company does so you know it's it's probably going to be a very successful transition, but um, it's a case of the company, although it's doing very well, it could be 2x or 3x what it already is mm. if if uh, the owner had had a slightly different mindset about how to make it happen. Well, that's interesting. And what you're telling me is that he just made a conscious decision or a subconscious decision to keep it smaller so that he had control of the things that he liked doing and that's okay but the next okay. person coming in can scale that business because they're not attached to the design the way he was and that's where it's hard to scale creativity right so right. in order to scale creativity you have to find a way to duplicate that creativity and that's where building a business where you have designers on your team can help you scale that business as long as you let go of that control. So right. this comes down to the owner becoming more aware of the fact that he can still be a designer, but he doesn't have to do the work of the design every day. Right. No, that's a very fair point, and that is a good point, and I don't want to gloss over it for entrepreneurs out there that have gotten to a certain level in their business and they found a comfort zone and I call it a lifestyle business. 
if, right. if you if you've built it up to enough of a cash generator that you are living the lifestyle you want and arguably you don't want the headaches of something bigger more complex fine there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um, the only asterisk I would put on that is if you do get to the point you want to be able to exit the business, you need to begin thinking about how critical is your touch point in the business because if the business is only going to survive because you're doing X, then you don't have a saleable business. <laughs> well, this might be a kind of interesting, a little bit of a tangent <clears throat> from that. And I was having this discussion with my second in command. She's been with me 18 and a half years. So it's been a long, long journey together. Love working with her. And we were talking about the fact that we were talking about exit. And we were talking about the fact that um, I've been planning for it for about 10 years and really starting to work on it in the last five years and pull myself out of parts of the business so that the leadership team is running the business. And and I was saying to her the other day, I said, I, I have about five more years of vision that I'm willing to apply to the business. And I need to know what your vision is beyond that five years, up to 10 years, maybe 20 years, to know what your plan is to take this business to the next level. And I haven't seen that yet. I haven't heard from you. I don't know what your vision is for that future. And I also don't know what your strategy is. And I'm not seeing that strategy from the leadership team. So we're going to be talking about that in about two weeks. And I am challenging the leadership team in my company to start um, verbalizing and thinking about what it is they want to see for the future of the company. So I'm pushing them into not necessarily the visionary type of thinking that I bring to the company, but I'm encouraging them to think strategically about how to take it to another level. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that as people are considering exiting their business, they need to be thinking about what is someone going to want when they come in to buy that business? Because they're not wanting to buy the current owners, um, maybe their view and vision of the company. They want to apply their own to it. So what could that other vision be? so that it can be something that is coming out of leadership versus the one person at the top of the company. Right. <clears throat> no, that's uh, that's very important and, and definitely uh, key strategic thinking. And you're, you're spot on. I, I think that is what ends up happening with so many smaller and even mid-sized businesses. The influence of the owner founder just dominates everything. And and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it, it is inevitable that that's, that's the thinking because that founder is the visionary and they may or may not have invited others to that, that table for expanding the vision and growing the vision. But you're, you're spot on. But when an owner wants to think about exit, there has to be a transition there of that thinking and that capacity. And if the leadership team is not already doing that, then, and in some businesses, quite frankly, again, alluding to what I referenced a moment ago that I'm involved in, some of these companies don't even really have a bona fide leadership team. It's the owner and everybody else. <laughs> right. And, right. Uh, and and that's part of the the process that I'm engaged in doing is helping the sellers uh, help 
or at least cooperate with the buyer to begin mapping out, well, who do you really rely on? Who is your number two person? And you maybe have never designated them as a part of a leadership team, but, you know, let's know who those people are and let's start having those discussions. And we encourage the buyers to really more formally from day one declare, hey, George or Sally, you're, you're going to be on my leadership team. Right. And, and we'll talk a lot more about what that's about. But I just want you to know, I, I view your your value and worth here at this company at that level. So we're going to shift the thinking a little bit. Well, all of this said, Gail, we we have another big part we need to cover before we lose our time today. But that is this shift that the owner founder needs to make to, to really continue to grow with the enterprise as it's growing. And you and I talked a lot about that in the green room and, and my listeners have heard me uh, talk about this many times before. I saw it in my banking days, really good companies that were privately held, got up to a certain level and capped out. They, they could not grow beyond where they ended up. And inevitably, it was a function of that owner founder not willing or not able to make certain continued growth. And, and some call them pivots, some call them mindset shift, whatever. But it's, it's for sure a, a growth mode of thinking differently, viewing the business differently, uh, stepping on some other emotional intelligence elements to uh, allow others delegate more, expand the thinking, et cetera. So talk to us about your experience in, in that journey as well. Wow, that's a big one. Um, I do believe that there are people that have a natural tendency to be leaders, but they may not have the training to do it. And then there are some people that fall into it because they maybe they didn't have somebody else to go work for. So they learn the leadership skills on their own. So to me, it's almost like um, you you'll have your own journey to get to wherever you are. And what you need to understand is that in order for your company to grow, you have to grow. You have to grow as a, a person that is a leader of the business. You have to grow emotionally, um, intellectually. You have to work constantly at being better at what you're doing. And that involves being able to take feedback from both your clients and your employees. And your employees are your number one client. And if you can't take that feedback, you're probably not going to be able to go past a certain point because we all have blind spots. So sorry about the train. Uh, we all have blind spots. And I think we need to be open to having people tell us what our blind spots are so that we can grow into being a better leader. So I think that... Um, we have to fail at a few things along the way in order for us to find out what our limits are and maybe what our opportunities for growth are. And if we can take both of those pieces of information and apply those and um, allow ourselves to see the future differently and step into it differently and be curious, I think we can grow into um, a larger company if we want to. 
And again, it's personal choice. People tend to behave in a way that shows itself in results. That's what's going to happen at some point. You can't get beyond who you are as a person. So if you're going to grow your business, you have to grow. So I, I think that's the bottom line of this. Right. <clears throat> and as I alluded, the some of the symptomatic touch points that I've seen in, in watching owners cap out is, is things like being willing to delegate, being willing to open up. Um, I, I had a client recently uh, who there was one thing, one element in their business there was um, for every new transaction that was being submitted to the bank, he had to provide his social security number and he was unwilling to tell his office person what his social was. So every transaction literally had to cross his desk so he could fill in the blank with the social and, and, and get it submitted to the bank. And, you know, when I was working with him, I said, why why aren't you allowing that to be delegated to your person you trust her with everything else about your business she writes checks on your behalf i mean there's not a lot more sensitive than that and he said what's my social i said yeah but it's it's necessary for the banking doc why you know why don't you just allow her to do that and you can have whatever talk you want to about asking her to protect it, but get it off your desk. You don't need to be the bottleneck in all these transactions flowing. And I said, how much time a week do you spend? He goes, well, we do a lot of transactions. I probably have eight or 10 a day. I said, oh my God, wow. you know, <laughs> I said, oh my God, you're kidding me. And uh, so he somewhat reluctantly he agreed and next thing you know he's saying man i've got two hours a day i'm not sure i know what to do with and i'm going like well bingo let's go you know I, i've got a whole list of things you've told me you could think about and um you know it, it it opened up a whole new lens but it's that it's those interesting little limiting beliefs that people show up operating with and uh you know, I, I love your point about getting feedback on your blind spots. I think that is so critical. And the reality is, if you've done, if you own a business and you've done a reasonably good job of recruiting people, they want to succeed. So they're going to see their own part of your business and they're going to have ideas that they at least would, would enjoy talking about. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say yes to all of them, but if you're not even allowing them to be heard, you may be missing a whole lot of opportunity that you're just not seeing. Well, I'll share something that I've shared with some of my clients, and I think this might be useful for the listeners, is that there are three levels of decisions, in my view, um, or experience with my clients. And one is that you can make a unilateral decision. And the more unilateral decisions you make, the less you have buy-in from your employees. So be very frugal and don't do a lot of those unilateral decisions because you're going to find that it puts you in a position of being the leader, but you're not allowing others to participate. The second level is when you are soliciting information and you're asking people for their input about it. 
and then you make your own decision. But you always have to share why you made the decision with the, the people on your team so they understand your reasoning and logic behind it. They may not always agree with the decision you made, but you do have that authority to do that as an owner. And that puts you in a better place overall. And the third type is collaborative, where everybody has to agree about the decisions that are made within a company. And that sounds great, but what happens is if everything has to be a collaboration and you have to have 100% agreement, then you have a situation where it slows down the decision process. That may be okay for some things, but it can't be for all things. So I kind of like to be in that middle category because that ends up moving the company more efficiently in many ways. Um, and also you can apply that to delegation and not abdication because I am really against abdication. Uh, but a lot of people do that where they'll delegate and but they don't necessarily give the decision power and empower their people to use their decision skills to really be in charge of an area. So they end up coming back and asking for approval. And that is absolutely the wrong thing. Anytime you find that your employees are having to come to you for the final decision, that's not okay because you need to empower people to be able to make decisions on your behalf. And if you've got the right people, then it's not going to be a problem. But I'm just really um, strong about saying to my coaching clients, you need to understand where you need to make decisions and where you don't. And when you let go and you delegate, you need to be sure that that person understands that they're allowed to make the decision and that you're not going to come in and supersede what they said just because you're the boss. So you have to be careful because this is not necessarily easy for people to learn how to delegate effectively. Yeah. There's a great story a coaching colleague told, and we've repeated on, on the show a couple of times because I think it's very, very powerful. And that is there, there's a story of a business owner who had grown his business up to a you know multi-million dollar level. Team was about 20 or 21, something like that. And one day the office manager came in and said, hey, boss, could, could could we just shut down for the rest of the afternoon and go down the street to the coffee shop and just have a little social with everybody? And he said, that's a great idea, you know, and he jumps out of his desk and goes on the floor and starts, you know, saying, shut it down, shut it down. We're going to go have coffee, you know, let's go. So they <clears throat> marched down to the corner cafe and they all get their stuff and they're sitting around and the same office person that had brought up the idea said, well, we really wanted to have a meeting for another reason. <laughs> we, we have a list we need to go over with you. And it was kind of an intervention. And what had happened was as the company grew, there was this ever growing list of observations and feedback that the people were seeing in the owner. And the good news was they, they felt comfortable enough in mass anyway to present it to him. And this office manager type was the kind of the spokesman and said, well, let's start with the issue that you're a micromanager. We, mm. we love you to death. We love working here, but we got it. We, we know what we're doing. You don't have to hover like you do. And, uh, and the good news was this, this founder had a pretty high level of emotional intelligence 
And he sat back and he said, oh, my God, okay, I, I'm making notes here. What's next? And and they they processed through this list, and he took it all in. And he basically told him that afternoon, he said, uh, give me a couple of days. I'm going to work on this, and I'll, I want to get back to you. We will have another team meeting. I'll tell you where I land on these things. And And he was true to his word. About three days later, he called another huddle, and he went through the list, and he said, here's what I'm hearing about this. Here's what I think I can do to fix it, and yada, yada, yada. He went through the whole thing, and the business just continued to you know, escalate and, and grow. So uh, sometimes I think the, for me, the moral of that story is one kudos to the owner for at least having the fortitude and the emotional intelligence to take it all in and not erupt. Right. And, right. and, and not get incredibly angry or embarrassed or hostile about it. And, Clearly, he had at least created some environment where they felt a degree of comfort bringing it up and, and, and coming. But he had also apparently created a culture where the company, the employees were all in. They wanted to see continued success, but they all were feeling these constraints and, and knew that there were roadblocks that they needed to clear out so they could keep moving. And, and, uh, you know, it was a very happy ending when it was all said and done. Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a great example. And I think what we're saying here, Gail, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But what I would tell clients is you need to be the the proactive one asking the questions and creating the opportunities. Hey, guys, and even if it's just your leadership team, it doesn't necessarily have to be every person in your company, although that would be helpful if it's doable. But at least among your leadership team, have the honest discussions. What am I doing that's holding you guys back? That's a perfect question. And to me, if someone can do that and they can listen and they can take it in and make the necessary changes, the company will do well. And if they can't do that, then it will probably hit a level where they can't go beyond that. Because it, as we were talking about earlier, you can't go beyond the growth of the person that's leading the company. But if you have a team of people, then everything can rise together if you're allowing other people to bring their intelligence to the game. Because honestly, sometimes our employees are better at things than we are. And I think that that's one of the things I love the most is to see my people on my team exceed what I can do. And I'm so excited when they do that. Um, for instance, my second in command has a better aesthetic eye than I do. And so when we were rebranding our company a year ago, um, just the things that she did and what she brought to it, it was just way beyond what I could have done. So for me, that's what I look for in people on my team is for them to bring that level of creativity and problem solving and also commitment to the company. And if you can find those people, you've got gold. You absolutely have gold and it's, it's a saleable asset because people want to hire a company that can continue without the leader in the place of the one position. Right. So if the whole leadership team is strong, then you've got a very interesting company. One of the best ways I've heard it described, for those of you who appreciate word pictures, is is envision a good old-fashioned hourglass, you know, sand in the hourglass. 
And what we're talking about here is typically owner founders tend to be that pinch point in the middle of the glass, the very narrow little channel that things drop through. And if, if you are creating that bottleneck in your business, because you have to touch the transaction, you have to make the vinyl decision, you're not going to get much flow through that funnel. So if, if you can take the binders off of that and open that, that channel, you, you can get this giant flood of activity and prosperity going through that pipe and you will see all kinds of, of growth and, and expansion made available. And again, I, you know, the asterisk on all of that is there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with figuring out a lifestyle business if that's what you want to do. But if you're really in the game to build an asset that has a meaningful, uh, meaningful value that you can exit from at some future date, you want to do everything you can now to optimize that possibility. And if if you're at a million now and you can see a path to get to five million, you know, that's going to be a much better payday down the road. So uh, keep keep working it. Keep keep going and and keep making those fine tuning adjustments as you go. Well, something else I wanted to share, just because this is uh, something that we're going through right now in our company is that I have had a conversation with my leadership team that we need to uh, engage a new consultant to help us with a higher level of strategic thinking and maybe help us broaden our vision. And that was a really interesting conversation because they said, because there was the other side of, well, we could save that money and have more for paying payroll. I said, yes. And that limits our growth because we need to have a different perspective at certain times in our business. So if you're finding that your company is growing incrementally and not exponentially, then it, it says that you're, you have some limitations set within your company that maybe your viewpoint is not as broad as it needs to be. Maybe your strategy isn't the right strategy. Maybe you're approaching things in a way that's limiting the growth of the business. And uh, it's important to remember that sometimes we can only fix things with the tools that we have. So we have to get other tools. And sometimes it's better to get outside tools in order to have the perspective that we need in order to do that. So if you have listeners today that are thinking about growing their businesses, they need to be aware that if they have only grown incrementally, that they probably do need some outside guidance in order to grow. Yeah. That's that's great advice, and it 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 reminds me. It runs in parallel. I know a, a gentleman here locally with me that runs a a specialty placement firm for small businesses, and one of his mantras is when he gets an engagement, and let's say for instance a business is running at about three million, and the owner says, "I really think we can grow to ten, but I need a new sales guy, a, a leader of my sales team." Well, my person argues, we're going to go recruit you somebody that already operates at 10 million. We don't want another 3 million guy because you're there. Exactly. 
you you know how to do three million. Let's let's find somebody that can get you to ten, and is already doing it, and they know what it feels like to be at ten. Let's recruit that person, and let them show you the path to get there. And I think that same logic applies to all the disciplines within a company, whether it's production and operations, or customer service, or finance, any of those things. When you're when you're when you think you're buying into a strategy that's going to get you to that level, you've got to look for the talent pool that has the knowledge and experience to do that. Right. Well, and there are people on your team, and some people should be this way. The people that are the what if this happens, then they're thinking about the contingency planning, and it's great to have those, but they're also going to keep the company at a certain level. So you have to have the the free thinkers that are going to bring in new ideas, fresh ideas and new perspective. And you don't want to have a ton of those on the team, but you want a few of those that can lead the team so that you can grow the company because you need to have innovation in order to scale. And right. so to me that you're saying the same thing, you're hiring a person who has helped to scale a business or is at that level instead of the one that's already at the current level. So sometimes that same thinking that you've been using to operate at that incremental level is just not enough. You you right. have to have some way of changing it. Either you get consulting or you end up hiring a, a stronger person to right. come in and lead. So great point. Well, and from a financial sense, there's all kinds of creativity you can do to incentivize somebody to join you at that level if they've already been running at 10 and you want to get to 10, you can give them a lot of the upside in making it happen. And, and they'll find it a, a welcome challenge and a good opportunity. And, you know, you can, you can make the numbers work is what I'm saying. So, well, Gail, we're about up on time here. Thank you so much for sitting in. I think this has been great. And uh, tell people the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about what you do. Okay. Well, the, probably the best way is to look us up at thepearlcollective.com. Okay. Thepearlcollective.com. We will have that link in the show notes for everybody, as always. And uh, one last time, Gail, thanks for sitting in. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Doug. All right. Well, with that, folks, we're going to bring this to a close. I like to remind everybody we do have a YouTube channel vi with video, uh, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, uh, take a look at the video archive, see if there's a topic or an idea that really resonates. Leave us a comment. And uh, I always like to invite people to uh, recommend future guests for the show, or if you yourself are interested, I'm very happy to talk with you. You can reach out to me at my own site, dougthorpe.com, T-H-O-R-P-E.com, and look forward to hearing from you. But uh, for now, we're going to say goodbye. Go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.